Please stand for the hearing of the Easter Gospel. We read from the Gospel according to St. Mark, the 16th chapter. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had arisen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back, and they entered the tomb. They saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The Gospel of the Lord. may be seated. <clears throat> what happened to the women in this gospel story is something that can and does happen to all of us, even to those among us who are especially faithful and courageous. In that abrupt ending to the gospel story we just heard of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, St. Mark reports that the three women who came to anoint the body of Jesus fled his empty tomb in fear. End of story for Mark. And for anyone who has followed this story closely, this is shocking at many levels. After all, these are the women who seem to be the most faithful and the most courageous of all Jesus' followers. When the men who are closest to Jesus all fled the scene of his crucifixion and then locked themselves in a secluded room, these women bravely stood at the foot of the cross and they made it clear to everyone that Jesus was their companion. And then when Jesus' body was taken down from the cross, Mark tells us that these same women stood by and watched that process closely so that they could later come and anoint his body with oil. In one of his Easter sermons on this text, Martin Luther marveled at the courage and the tenacity of these women. They do not even think of the watchers who were clad in armor nor the wrath of Pilate, Luther said, but boldly they risk it, and alone they venture on their way. But then these faithful and courageous women surprise us. When they are urged to go forth and tell others that Jesus is alive and that he's going ahead of them to Galilee, they run away. They run away in terror and amazement, and they say nothing to anyone because they are afraid. 
It's a hard thing to accept, but it is not a hard thing to understand. And no matter who we are, I think this is the point of the story where we can all see ourselves in these three human beings who are also fragile and vulnerable creatures. This week, when our nation observes the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., there will be reminders that even he felt overwhelmed by fear and by discouragement on so many occasions. When President Kennedy was shot in 1963, Martin told Coretta, this is what's going to happen to me. I keep telling you, he said, this is a sick society. And then in the months before Dr. King was shot in Memphis, Jonathan Reeder tells us that he was in a very fragile and emotional state. Reader, who is an expert on Dr. King's life, said that King was feeling at a political level that America was descending to the opposite of the beloved community for which he struggled. White backlash had spread across the North. Younger generations of civil rights activists were turning away from his doctrine of nonviolence. And King doubted if he was still relevant. That doubt and despair was evident in a Virginia hotel room several months before he died. During the night, Dr. King woke up his friends and shouted, I do not want to do this anymore. I want to go back to my little church. It was how he felt intensely at the moment. But Dr. King also had something deep within him, which I see also in these women who come to the tomb. As Mark says, they all came with some expectation that some force beyond them would do what they could not do. They came with just one question. Who will roll away the stone for us? They knew they couldn't do it on their own. They were dealing with grief, disappointment, but also very much aware of their limitations. But from a place much deeper than all of that, they held on to the hope that there would still be a way past that stone. It wasn't a question of if it would be rolled away. It was just a question of who would make that happen. And for me, that's a very important thing to keep in mind when we come to the end of this gospel story, which does leave us all wondering what happened next. Matthew and Luke and John give answers to that question in their own accounts of the resurrection. But Mark stops at a critical point, and then he just gives the story back to us. In his account that we heard, we don't know what these women felt or said or did next. But we do know that the first great stone in their path had already been rolled away and that it wasn't done by them. In the words of the messenger who met them at the tomb, there's also evidence that other stones have already been rolled away. 
one would expect that a risen Jesus would bear deep anger and resentment toward the men who had abandoned him. But instead, we hear words of love and grace for them, which opens the way to a new relationship with Jesus. Go, the messenger says, and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. When Peter himself talks about this new way that has been opened up for him in his relationship with Jesus, he also answers the question for us in that first reading today of who will roll away the stone for every one of us. It is God who anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power, Peter says. It is God who raised him from the dead. And it is God who brings life and peace and healing to the world through him. As you hear this today, I am wondering how it speaks to your life. You may not feel the intense grief and fear of the women at the tomb or the guilt and shame of those men in hiding or the weight of the world on your shoulders as Dr. King did. But I suspect that every one of us came here today with stones of some kind that stand between us and the life-giving promise of life in Christ that we hear today. That may seem like a dark subject to address on Easter Sunday, but it does make the truth of this day profoundly relevant. To be blunt, if God did not have the power to roll those stones away, there wouldn't be any reason to gather here today or any day of the year. There wouldn't be any reason to ever hope for courage beyond our fear, for joy beyond our sorrow, or for peace beyond conflict, for love beyond hate. If God did not have the power to roll those stones away, there would be absolutely no reason to hope that our broken relationships could in any way be mended or that our sick society could be healed. There would not be any reason to imagine the possibility of racial justice or gender equality or school safety or food security for all of God's children. If God did not have the power to roll away those stones, there would not be any reason for any one of us here to hope for a better future or even for a life with God beyond this one that we know. But where do we look for signs of that power and how do we know that it is real? In the full Easter story, I'm inspired by the witness of those other evangelists who report to us that God did in fact break through that barrier of fear that first came to those women and freed them to run and tell the disciples that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And I'm inspired when I remember that God gave to Martin Luther King Jr. new energy beyond that day and new hope for the work that he was called to do. King's last speech delivered 50 years ago on April 3rd of 1958 
was in fact the most hope-filled and joyful speech of his adult life. I'm happy tonight, he said. I am not worried about anything. I am not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. That kind of transformation may seem more dramatic than anything we can expect in our little lives. But the Easter gospel that we hear today says that the power of God is there for all of us. And that it isn't just for people whose stories are told in the Bible or whose lives are remembered in history books. It's something that we are reminded of today is for every person created by God. God shows no partiality, Peter says, which means that you and I are just as important to God as Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, Peter, Martin, and all of the others who have stood before stones, great stones, wondering who will roll them away. There will be days, I know, for all of us, when we are doubtful. There will be times when the darkness seems too heavy, when the stones seem too large. There may even be times when Good Friday seems to last forever. But in the light of this Easter gospel, we can all hold fast to the promise of the resurrection, to the promise that God has already rolled away the greatest stone of all. Now nothing, nothing in all of creation can stop Jesus Christ from coming to us in whatever state we are in and from going before us with the power to make all things new. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah.